Welcome to episode 453 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature another sort of reflective best of for 2021, going into 2022. This episode is called Last Year's Literature. And it features pieces that I wrote, that our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, wrote. And also, uh, Dr. Pavis and myself reading the likes of Lawrence Ferlinghetti and Camus, as well as a few others. So, let's get right to it. Some music as well, of course. And I hope you enjoy episode 453 last year's literature our inaugural effort here we go champagne brisket and cream cheese the morning after new year's eve with thoughts of our challenges that we know and those not showing yet the love lost gained to come and the pride and regret into character aplomb. The smell of coffee in my cup as my family stirs awake in our home. I want to be a good man. I'd like to better understand who you are and who I am. But my head is still a bit foggy with last year's experience and the physical aftermath of too much beer, whiskey, and champagne. Such a privileged life relative to many others though difficult in most ways the same. The things that I wrestle with are judgment and blame. I suppose those two are intrinsically connected with just the right touch of shame. Is there one without the other? I look out the picture window facing south, a neighbor whose name I do not know, though we both supported Joe Biden over the other guy's crazy twists and shouts. He walks his white, fluffy little dog and waves to me hello. He is an ally, I think, if we ever in this country reach the brink of societal tumult. And then I look up at the clouds and imagine that we are in Humboldt County, California, listening to scarlet begonias. And all was as clear and open and easy as I once seemed to feel back in the day. Though now I wonder to what extent true, and how real, and to what end, though I know now and then the birds, blue, brown, gray, red, and orange, fly and sing, it is not pretend. This winter, once again, will turn into spring with natural zeal, despite the girth of your stockpile of bling, or the fashion you feel, ka-ching, Can you hear the wind waves breathe and sunbeams weave the spectrum of light throughout every day into every night? A wondrous measure of pure delight. Foundation Ridges and reefs, saviors, charlatans, and thieves. The clock on the steeple of town square 
A train blows its horn as it travels over the stone trestle covered in vines as Summit Lake Creek flows alongside its foundation. And I think about the beauty and natural pace of this life. Celebrate anything you want Yes, you can celebrate anything you want Oh, I, 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 I. Do a road Well, you can penetrate any place you go Yes, you can penetrate any place you go First, I saw the van with its risque bumper sticker. If this van is rockin', don't bother knockin'. Visitors to the young couple down the street, I thought. 
They seemed the Randy Van type. The van never moved, however, and from my living room I watched as youngish, hairy creatures of both genders, sporting tie-dye and dreadlocks, climbed out, carrying knapsacks and boxes and various electronic devices. Mary. That's it. Yes, my bitter cousin Mary, who lives next door. She had rented out her apartment to hippies. She inherited her little double from her parents, and for a long time rented to a quiet, elderly bachelor. He used to go on long, late-night walks through the neighborhood, muttering to himself. One day he was spotted sitting in Mary's backyard in a lawn chair in the nude. A relative came for him the next day, and the apartment was empty for quite a while. And now, the hippies. I could never tell how many there were. A trio? A quartet? Someone was always coming in and out the front door, bringing groceries and beer and wine, and, I'm sure, other potent substances. For hippies, they were a quiet bunch. Not as quiet as the previous tenant, the poor bachelor who lost his marbles. At night, with my window open, I'd smell their organic food and their recreational herbs wafting over to my place, and I'd hear their music and conversation and laughter. Sometimes I felt bolstered by their presence, and other times their conviviality deepened my own loneliness. My mother had gone on a cruise to Alaska, encountered a shaman named Ronald, and decamped at Skagway. For so many years, it was my mother and me in our house, and now it was just me. Shortly after the hippies arrived, I was taking out my small batch of recyclables to the curb on Wednesday night, and there was a hippie couple, a dude and his old lady, as they used to say on that ancient, groundbreaking TV show, The Mod Squad. They appeared to be in the middle of an argument and stopped short when I approached. I'm Glenn, I said. Chad, the dude said. Chrysalis, said the female hippie. I later learned that she had renamed herself and ditched her original moniker, Susan, in a ceremony on Mount Washington. We exchanged bland pleasantries about the clear, cool night, and then Chrysalis smiled and went into the house. Man, women, said Chad in mild exasperation. Apparently they were having a lover's tiff when I interrupted them. I thought back to an incident from my youth, a time I rarely mentally revisit. I was obsessed with a girl named Willow, and for some reason pity or morbid curiosity, perhaps, she had consented to a first date at the local Dairy Queen. But as soon as we had started in on our Sundays, she introduced me to a guy named Fred, who sat confidently down at our table. And this Fred looked a lot like Chad, a rugged, handsome, free-spirited fellow. I could see, as they say, the writing on the wall. When Fred got up to greet some equally free-spirited friends at another table, Willow turned to me and said, Sorry, Glenn, you're a nice guy, but you're so uptight. She left with Fred, and I sat there, 
feeling foolish and forlorn, staring down to the pool of nuts and cherries in my melting sundae. My mother, who now loves a shaman, used much the same language as Willow on a call recently from Alaska. Lighten up, Glenn, she said, before running off to meet Ronald for a brunch of Bloody Marys and spinach omelets. She was paying, no doubt. After brunch, they were going mushroom gathering in the wilds outside Skagway. Chad went back to his apartment, and I lingered a while outside, listening to the sounds of laughter and Jerry Garcia's plaintive voice coming from the happy abode of the hippies. I hoped Chad and Chrysalis patched up their problems. Woman needs man, and man must have his mate, as Dooley Wilson sings in Casablanca. Lighten up, Glenn, I said to myself. Lighten up. Seekers As another Valentine's Day comes and goes... I think of John and Zeev and Lavar, some of my homes. We have all talked together during this time, reveling with an existence sublime, with touches of consternation, discontent, relentless worry, profound sadness, the lightness of ephemeral yet deep joy. Since I was an immigrant boy looking at this land, this place, as a space to trace my race without personal distaste, despite some false facts and turned backs as spun for and from the masses of norm, those people I talk with and with whom together we fight and do our best to navigate the history of perpetual injustice and conquest and wrong-headed might. Those individuals I've hated and I've loved, I realize when one of them passes on to a great beyond how important our time together was its sincere humanity, as inside me some sort of energy was transferred, concurred, fulfilled, left to learn on its own, yet more wise through the dance of struggle, seeking to find a genuine compromise that our contemporaries and descendants alike, our friends, compatriots, foes, will understand, if not as directly from us, then somehow filtered to them through the collective. Our work together might resonate, that we are all connected, brothers and sisters, and that only objective faith in what is just, vital of integrity, heart, soul, will fuel love to reign and conquer hate. Thank you for teaching me how to better be consciously on this day into eternity. 
Five Jazz Poems God pity me whom God distinctly has E. E. Cummings God pity me whom God distinctly has The weightless, svelte, drifting, sexual feather Of your, shall I say, body Follows truly through a dribbling moan of jazz Whose arched, occasional, stepped youth swallows curvingly the keenness of my hips. Or your first twitch of crisp boy flesh dips my height in a firm, fragile, stinging weather, breathless with sharp, necessary lips. Kid female cracksman of the nifty, ruffian rogue, laughing body with wise breasts half-grown, lisping flesh quick to thread the faddish drone of I want a doll, wishpis agile feet with slid steps, parting the tussle of saxophonic brogue. The Poet by Freddington for John Hendricks The wordsmith paints a picture a kind of bebop exchange, rambling around the neighborhood, conversing apropos, curbside to parkside, phrasing with style, all the way uptown to the forest of words, dense and eloquent, connected to the sky, a canvas on which to portray the presence 
the humor, the hustle and the warmth, the wide open window, the jazz blows through. The Elegant Hostess by Freddington for Carmen McRae. As a matter of fact, she sings, it's a casual sort of excellence, like a breezy sun shower, like light prismed and colorful, on occasion scatting wise, with a smile that knows the blues. Her jazz is an evening in summer, warm and quiet under the porch light. The night sky brings the stars in close. It's dark, but you can see for miles. Listening to Jazz Now by Jimmy Santiago Baca Listening to Jazz Now, I'm happy. Sun shining outside, like it was my Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm happy with my friend and her dog up in Durango. Her emailing me this morning, no coonhound ailing yowls, vibrant I love yous. I'm happy, my smile a big monarch butterfly, after having juiced up some carrots, garlic, seaweed. I stroll the riverbank, lazy as a deep cello in a basement bar. Smoke, cagneyed out patrons, caramel and chocolate women in black, shoulder strap satin dresses, and red high heels. Jazz on a Summer Night by David Lassard Jazz on a summer's night, swinging sounds of joy, the moon bouncing in its flight. Satin doll, what's new? What is this thing called love? Wailing in the blue. The bossa nova beat, the soft enchanting mood, people dancing in the park, everybody gay, nobody rude. Ah, such lovely notes of music falling on the ear, the young, the in-between, the old, all that noise that's sweet to hear. Long live jazz, and may the beat go on, blues and pop and classic too, Get out and shake your fanny, waltz, cha-cha, and dipsy-doo. Albert Camus, from The Myth of Sisyphus One does not discover the absurd without being tempted to write a manual of happiness. What? By such narrow ways. There is but one world, however. Happiness and the absurd are two sons of the same earth. They are inseparable. It would be a mistake to say that happiness necessarily springs from the absurd discovery. It happens as well that the feeling of the absurd springs from happiness. I conclude that all is well, says Oedipus, and that remark is sacred. It echoes in the wild and limited universe of man. It teaches that all is not has not been exhausted. It drives out of this world a God who had come into it with a dissatisfaction and a preference for futile sufferings. It makes a fate a human matter, which must be settled among men.
All Sisyphus's silent joy is contained therein. His fate belongs to him. His rock is his thing. Likewise, the absurd man, when he contemplates his torment, silences all the idols. In the universe suddenly restored to its silence, the myriad wondering little voices of the earth rise up. Unconscious, secret calls, invitations from all the faces, they are the necessary reverse and price of victory. There is no sun without shadow, and it is essential to know the night. The absurd man says yes, and his effort will henceforth be unceasing. If there is a personal fate, there is no higher destiny, or at least there is but one which he concludes is inevitable and despicable. For the rest, he knows himself to be the master of his days. At that subtle moment, when man glances backwards over his life, Sisyphus returning toward the rock, in that slight pivoting, he contemplates that series of unrelated actions which become his fate, created by him, combined under his memory's eye, and soon sealed by his death. Thus convinced of the holy human origin of all that is human, a blind man eager to see who knows that the night has no end, he is still on the go, the rock is still rolling. I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burden again. But Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates the gods and raises rocks. He too concludes that all is well. This universe, henceforth without a master, seems to him neither sterile nor futile. Each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain, in itself forms a world. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to, man, to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. Now my personality is an unwanted commodity believe Can't it. believe I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic Six million ways I used to run it I guess Oscar Goldman got mad Cause I got loose circuits so loose. I so be loose. the mother goose with the eggs that seem to be Mama don't love me and my mama don't care 
Read the papers, the headlines say Washed up rapper got sound Lingo's busted while the guitar sways B-side copy for the radio plays for something I knew I blew the whole fandango When the drum programmer wore a kango Never could be like great fish won't bite bait Realize that I'm over like clover No good luckin' so mace beat the f***ing beat While a teenage fan the heat I bring it to the clues, paid all my dues So what's going dead? Let me use my forehead Easy pack it up man, let me stop stalling Cause everything I do is like fallin' You're listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on WFTE Radio. Three Poems by Lawrence Ferlinghetti For all I know, maybe she was happier. For all I know, maybe she was happier than anyone. That lone crone in the shawl on the orange crate train with the little tame bird in her handkerchief, crooning to it all the time, Mia Moscata, Mia Moscata, and none of the Sunday excursionists with their bottles and their blankets paying any attention, and the coach creaking on through cornfields so slowly that butterflies blew in and out. Nightlight, night, night, Death's true self, death's second self. Black is my true love's hair, yet all, all is despair. Black night, black light, death's true self. Black, black, black is my true love's hair, and all, all is despair. Night, night, death's second self, where all is empty, all is despair. All gone, all down, all, all despair, and gray is my true love's hair. Yet sun bursts forth upon the land, and a butterfly lights in it upon my hand, and lights these songs, and lights these songs in air. Retired Ballerinas Central Park West. Retired ballerinas on winter's afternoons, walking their dogs in Central Park West, or their cats on leashes, and cats themselves old high-wire artists. The ballerinas leap and pirouette through Columbus Circle, 
while winos on park benches, laid back like drunken goodenoughs, hear the taxis trumpet together like horsemen of the apocalypse in the dusks of the gods. It is the final witching hour when swains are full of swan songs and all return through the dark dusk to their bright cells in high glass high-rises or sit down to oval cigarettes and cakes in the Russian tea room or climb four flights to back rooms in west side brownstones where faded playbill photos fall peeling from their frames like last year's autumn leaves. Two more poems by the great Lawrence Ferlinghetti. This one's titled Loud Prayer. Our Father, whose arts in heaven, hallow be thy name, unless things change. The wigdom come and gone, thy will will be undone on earth as it isn't heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, at least three times a day. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those lovelies whom we wish would trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation too often on weekdays, but deliver us from evil, whose presence remains unexplained, in thy kingdom of power and glory. O oh, man! And a second poem by Lawrence Ferlinghetti titled Poetry as Insurgent Art. I am signaling you through the flames. I am signaling you through the flames. The North Pole is not where it used to be. Manifest destiny is no longer manifest. Civilization self-destructs. Nemesis is knocking at the door. What are poets for in such an age? What is the use of poetry? The state of the world calls out for poetry to save it. If you would be a poet, create works capable of answering the challenge of apocalyptic times, even if this meaning sounds apocalyptic. You are Whitman, you are Poe, you are Mark Twain, you are Emily Dickinson and Edna St. Vincent Millay, you are Neruda and Mayakovsky and Pasolini, you are an American or a non-American, you can conquer the conquerors with words." Bird bath. It tilts to the right from my window gaze, to the left from the pavement street chilly days, as the ice has melted in a warm March sunny haze for some bluebirds and red robins to drink. As our perennial lovebirds return to sit on the banister, of a still snow-covered back porch. While I stand over the sink, the missing link on the brink. ¶¶ 
of me Why not take all of me Can't you see I'm no good without you Take my lips I want to lose them Take my arms I'll never use them Your goodbye Left me with eyes that cry How can I go on, dear, without you? You took the part that once was my heart So why not take all of me? shut-in, Ronald's story. My mother decamped at Skagway, Alaska a while ago and began a new life with her shaman lover, Ronald. One morning, sipping coffee and pondering the vagaries of fate, I decided to find out more about my mother's paramour, more than my mother offered in her sometimes cryptic calls, letters, and postcards. Now, I'm not the most adept at online searches, I still read the newspaper on paper, delivered by the disagreeable paper boy who spitefully flings my morning dispatch into the bushes of my bitter cousin Mary's yard next door. So it took me a while to piece together Ronald's story. There are many Ronalds out there with his surname, and at first I harvested a crop of Ronalds long ago consigned to dust. There were pilot Ronalds, and accountant Ronalds, and minister Ronalds, and dentist Ronalds, and even a clown Ronald, who, dallying with a circus patron between shows, was discovered by a jealous husband and bludgeoned to death. A multitude of Ronalds, but not my mother's Ronald. Finally, after remembering a comment my mother made in one of her letters, I found him. An article in a small-town newspaper in Minnesota noted the retirement of a beloved shop teacher at a local high school. There was a picture of a youngish, or younger, Ronald, 
he retired early, besides a lathe machine. A graduate of St. Olaf's with its famous choir, he started teaching right after college and remained year after year, student project after student project, mailbox, birdhouse, signage. He had a wife and a son. A happy life, I guess, at least according to the article. I sat at my computer, scrutinizing the picture of the retiring Ronald. What did he do during the summer? I imagine him foraging in the woods outside his small town, looking for certain mushrooms and communing with the wildlife. As his wife puttered in the garden and his son rode his bicycle to the Dairy Queen, Ronald sat in his garage workshop, secretly reading about shamanism and dreaming about Alaska. Did he put on a cassette of Barry White and sink into the beat-up Barkalanger, close his eyes and daydream of his spirit animal? Was he distracted when he and his wife went to backyard barbecues, and did she notice? Were there fights? There must have been fights. Or, perhaps worse, silence. On summer nights, Ronald brooded on the porch swing with his wife next to him, wondering. So Ronald retired, and after a few months of feeling out, out of sorts and adrift, he hatched a plan. Many forays into the woods, many interlibrary loans later, books on Inuit culture, Alaskan history, and horticulture, and who knows what. After many nights awake, alternately excited, anxious, and guilty, after finally making a decision, he left his small Minnesota town, left his now college-age son, left his wife. I won't speculate on the last sad scenes with his wife, the tears shed, the subsequent strife-filled days before he finally departed. He went to Alaska and began his own new life, became a new Ronald, became the Ronald my mother now loves. Then one day, years later, firmly established in his second identity, a shaman for hire, no longer a shop teacher, he wandered into a gift shop in Skagway, and there was my mother, mulling over which funny moose postcard to send to her abandoned son. A glance, a comment, a pleasantry, a smile, a laugh, a spark, a connection. And suddenly, as Blanche Dubois says, there's God. Or rather, the hope of love and a better, fuller life. Things didn't work out for Blanche, of course, but they have so far for my mother. And now, well, Ronald and Evelyn are a couple, as they say. Late in life, they've found one another. I see them wearing matching sweaters as they head out for a brunch of salad and salmon, then off on a hike in the woods, then a nap, then an intimate dinner, then lights down low, glasses of Pinot Noir, as they listen to Your Sweetness Is My Weakness on Ronald's Vintage Hi-Fi. Who can begrudge them their happiness? Maybe Ronald's abandoned wife, unless she too has found a new partner. 
or Ronald's son. Who knows what became of him? Or me? Cherokee. Salacious sojourn into a seemingly sound station of the antebellum south. Trying to be without serious doubt or remorse. Believing you must stay the course of your personal dreams, despite the horrors your ancestors endured until society said no more, at least on the surface. Now it is buried beneath, more subtle in some ways, intrinsic in others. It has become part of our DNA, the pain and the suffering, the desire to leave it behind, to escape and somehow follow the pure echoes of an eternal wind chime reverberating through the alleyways, up and down the canals, in the cityscape, and out into the swamps, the woods, the countryside. Its history cannot disappear with time. To transcend we must first abide, it is in our psychology. It is in our soul. The truth we deny keeps us from being whole. I remember my friend Rossi, an African-American and Cherokee, talking with me way back when we were in our 20s about his feelings and philosophy regarding our society. We'd walk through the woods of central Ohio, or sit on a porch in downtown Columbus, connecting as two young men from different places, trying to figure out the way. We never felt disconnected as peers, here at the same time, thick in the fray, in the same days. Though walking lightly, too, as brothers seeking to understand the moment as it connects to the past, and wondering how long it all lasts into the great unknown. Sometimes we talked about our dreams, too. It has been 33 years since then. Now, he is in Maryland, and I am in Pennsylvania. We plan on getting together again soon. Mint Garbage trucks rumble by on the second day of July. The country is preparing to celebrate its independence. A pandemic in check. New furniture on the deck. Alongside tomato plants, peppers, mint, and lettuce. Soon to be picked and eaten in the fresh air under the sun and blue, blue sky. Thankful. The smell of stuffing and wine, ginger ale and figs, with incense, sandalwood, in the rugs and upholstery. A light dusting of snow outside the window, and warm waves of heat from the clinking radiator pumped up with steam from a furnace down below. The sun rises and sets with skyscape clouds swirl 
turmeric, magenta, orange-yellow hues, as a tint of gray-white billows. Such natural clarity, nothing confused, true elegance for all to freely wear and peruse. Smoked? Sure, I smoked. Smoked for years and years. Palm malls at first. Unfiltered. Real killers. Then filtered camels. Remember Joe Camel? Had a great Joe Camel t-shirt. Saved up coupons from the packs. And I moved to Mentals. Cools. That was my last brand, Cools. Whole family smoked. Father, grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts, uncles. The only holdout was my mother. She used to pretend to cough every time my dad lit up in front of her. And he lit up on all the time, so she was always pretend coughing. And then she'd tisk-tisk under her breath. She was always tisk-tisking, too. And constantly emptying ashtrays and rolling her eyes and sighing. My father ignored her, which he pretty much did all the time anyway. He was good at ignoring people, especially my mother. My mother hated smokers. She wasn't too crazy about my father. They didn't speak to each other much, and when they did, he'd yell and she'd cry. The kids would run outside or hide upstairs until it was quiet again. You know, a messed up family. Like most of them, no matter how nice and normal a family seems, they're messed up somehow, some way, for sure. Dad smoked Lucky Strikes. Started smoking him when he was a kid. And was a nicotine fiend by the time he joined the army. Then he got out of the army and he married my mom. He kept on puffing away. All through the years of work at a factory. And then through his short retirement. He could finally relax, but couldn't breathe. Emphysema. All that crap he was breathing in every day at the factory didn't help, of course angry guy. He used to come home from work, open a quart of beer, light up a smoke, and stew. And if one of the kids upset his stewing, there'd be hell to pay. Sure, he hit me when he could catch me. He hit all the kids. Now and then he'd hit mom, and there would be tears behind the bedroom door. Then he'd come out, sit down, start stewing again. A little while later, she'd come out and begin making dinner. Mom died first. Never smoked. Didn't drink much. Glass of wine on a holiday or birthday. Never sick a day in her life. Cancer. Then Dad died. Then the aunts and uncles. Not all from smoking, of course. Lots of ways to die. Don't have to tell you. So yeah, I smoked. Started when I was young. And like Dad, all my friends smoked. Everyone smoked in the movies and on TV. John Wayne smoked. Remember him? He used to watch him in westerns on afternoon TV. The gun is mine. The bullets belong to him. He can come get him any time. Loved John Wayne. Dad loved him too. The Duke. That's what they called him. The Duke got cancer and died, too. 
Now that I think about it, smoking was a big part of my life. We smoked before school when we were kids. We smoked after school, and then we'd sneak off to smoke at night. We'd smoke on dates. We'd smoke at work. We'd smoke at the bars. We'd smoke on the street after the bars were closed. We'd smoke in the morning with our first cup of coffee, and we'd smoke one last one before we fell asleep. Over the years, one by one, we quit. I quit a long time ago. Expensive, nasty habit, as my mother used to say. Finally realized that on my own. Some of my buddies kept at it right to the end. My buddy Nobby O'Malley, for example. Hacking and wheezing his whole sorry life. The last time I saw him, alive that is, he was grinning and lighting up a butt. Man, what a depressing subject. Why are we talking about this anyway? Oh yeah, you asked me. Well, next time ask about something happy. Butterflies or ice cream or ladies' underwear. You know, happy. Well, gotta go. Watch the ice.
And there you have it, episode 453 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. The first, the inaugural, last year's literature, sort of compilation, reflective episode that we're going to do every year now. And uh, this one focuses on the literature we produced and shared in the year 2021. I hope you enjoyed it. The folks involved, of course, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, thank you. Albert Camus, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, The Beatles, Cat Power, Teenage Fan Club, Billy Holiday, Fantastic Negrito, and, of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. Happy New Year to you, and thank you for listening. I look forward to working on programs for you throughout the year of 2022. Until next time, let's do our best with this time. Take care.